featuring the strongest, toughest podcast hosts in Maine, pound for pound, keeping you up to date on all the latest news in health and fitness from the OA Performance Center in Saco. This is the OA Performance Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to episode 16 of the OA Performance Podcast. Believe it or not, guys, we're back to full capacity today. So for those of you that listened the last couple of weeks, we're probably going to save you from all the baseball talk that <laughs> Kevin and I have been doing the last couple of weeks. Even though the Red Sox are on fire, that'll be a different episode. Yeah, it's a different story. Uh, I'm going to toss the mic over to Stan the Man today because we've got some really exciting stuff to cover today. What do you got, Stan? So today on the podcast, we have my good friend, Meredith Bickford. And I've known Meredith for a long time now. Uh, Meredith and I both... Uh, graduated from the University of Southern Maine, and actually, before I introduce all our background, Meredith, little known fact, when I was a student athletic trainer, Meredith was my very first athlete I ever treated. She sprained her ankle, and she was a <laughs> big freshman field hockey player, sprained her ankle, and we were getting into playoffs, so it was my job to kind of treat her and, and tape her up. How'd that go, Meredith? Was it like with Yeah, yeah it was great. Well, she made the Hall of Fame, and you know, it's all, it's all part of me. But anyway, let me introduce uh, Meredith a little bit and give you background. So Meredith is from Skowhegan, Maine, where she was actually a Hall of Fame field hockey athlete at, at Skowhegan. Went on to be a two-sport athlete at the University of Southern Maine in both field hockey as well as softball. She is an All-American for both sports as well as in the Husky Hall of Fame for both sports, which I don't think has been accomplished since, right? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but that's quite, you know, it's a very small company. In addition to that, she's also a former Mrs. Maine, and she then went on to be uh, the, the University of Southern Maine Assistant Athletic Director, and now currently she is the Assistant Field Hockey Coach for Gorham Field Hockey, so Meredith. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. So it's a pleasure. So we get a wide variety of things that we want to kind of cover with you today because you have a, a very diverse background, not only as an athlete, as coach, athletic director, and leadership, um, you know, as well as, you know, student athlete development. So there's a lot of stuff that you can cover and share. So we're going to pick your brain for a little bit. Okay. Sounds good. So let's, let's just kind of start off, you know, um, as you as like the athletic assistant athletic director at, at USM. So... Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what's a day in the life as, as an like, athletic director um, at a college level? Well, I think prior to being the assistant AD, I had a lot of training with student athletes because when I first started at USM, I was the assistant field hockey assistant softball coach. Um, so it gave me the opportunity to really create a foundation with the student athletes and let them get to know me. Um, and then I took on the role as an assistant AD, um, actually after I was head women's lacrosse coach. And um, during that stint, I was the, <laughs> the cheering coach too. <laughs> wow. Um, so, stuff. yeah, so a little bit diverse, but I think it just gave me the opportunity to get to know the athletes. And being an assistant AD is almost like being an assistant principal, I would kind of relate it to, because they all want to come in, they want to talk, they want to share what's going on in their lives. and. So you're kind of a sounding board, and um, Division Three is a little bit different because you're looking at the whole the whole student athlete. Um, we do a lot of stuff uh, in that position with the community, getting our athletes out in the community, and making sure that they're not just successful on the athletic field, but in the academic arena. Um, you know, and reward them for that. 
Um, a lot of community outreach to let them know how they can give back. Um, so I remember all those haunted houses you used to I know, run I at know. USM. Yeah, <laughs> days and days of preparation for haunted houses. But stuff like that and, and more about um, you know who they are as an individual um, and how they can advocate for themselves in the classroom and in the working world. I did one class uh, for a few years that provided opportunity for student athletes to internship and job shadow with local businesses and stuff. So, you know, every day was different. Um, I could be dealing with facilities or fundraising or the next community event, or I could have a student athlete that's coming in and, and, and was having difficulty in a class, that sort of thing. So that's one thing that you did that I, that I don't think you necessarily see in a lot of other colleges is like, you did a lot of, of spent a lot of time really working on development skills, uh, professional skills for for those student athletes. And I don't think you necessarily see a lot of that. You know, talk, how did, like, how did that kind of come, come about? Well, it definitely changed over the years. So um, prior to leaving USM, I had been promoted to the associate AD. And um, so I went from assistant AD to associate AD. And um, when you're, you know, when you enter college, there's kind of like a, a freshman seminar or a life skills program sort of thing. And when I first started, I saw a lot of, a lot more students knowing how to shake my hand or have conversation with me, that sort of thing. Um, and over the years, it kind of changed where I had to really implement those things in my teaching. So I taught courses. I was the senior woman administrator and the life skills coordinator. Um, and it was the opportunity to teach these, these kids how to promote themselves and advocate for themselves, which before leaving, I had seen a little bit of, of a change. It was more challenging for them to have face-to-face -face conversations, mm -hmm. um, to go and talk to a professor about uh, work that they had missed, that sort of thing. So it's kind of coaching in a way um, to be the best person that they could be. So um, yeah, I, I mean, it was it was all about empowerment and, and being your best advocate and really um, performing to your full full potential and and I there's so much opportunity at college you know for for student athletes and um, it's just being out there and, and seeing what it is and giving them the confidence to go and find it oh that's great it's great I mean and if you and you you know going along those lines talking about like maximizing your experience right like you're like the epitome of that when it comes to USM in terms of maximizing your experience not only being like a student athlete but then going and you know, hey, there's some coaching roles that I'm gonna I'm gonna take part in. And you know, I guess in, in you leading up to getting that that assistant AD position, if somebody had like an interest in that in terms of being a student athlete studying sports administration or that's that sort of thing, like what are the ways in kind of in getting that path? Whether it's a high school AD or the or like a college AD, like what are your suggestions on how they could get there? Well. Um... You know, my, my role started at USM, so when I graduated um, from USM, I was a communication major, and I knew that I wanted to coach, but I didn't really know how I was going to go about doing that. So like any student that graduates college that doesn't have a defined profession, like, you know, a technology degree or an engineering degree kind of thing, it was a little bit broad. So I started working um, with Jerry Durgan at Gorham High School. And I interned with him for two years after graduating, um, 
working with him on how an athletic director at the high school level works and scheduling and game cancellations and buses and equipment and funding and, and all of those things. So I kind of started to create that foundation. At the same time, I was working on a Tri-Town grant for students that were at risk of not graduating high school. And we worked with Wyndham and Lake Region. And I think for me, it was not only seeing the student athlete, but seeing all of the other kids that are also in that environment. Um, and I was working at USM at the same time, assisting field hockey. And um, give me spare time. Like, <laughs> you gotta remember, I was eighteen, or yeah. I mean, no, I was twenty-one at the time, I guess, right? Um, and um, so I was working at USM, selling dasher boards and marketing and promotions for the new ice arena that had just gone. Right. Uh, and doing promotions and that sort of thing, trying to get more visibility there. And I was coaching JV softball at Borough High School. So for me, it wasn't necessarily my communication degree that was gonna give me the opportunity to become an athletic director or associate AD or anything like that. It was more about my hands-on experience with the people that are already in that field and making those connections and networking. And later on, when I became the assistant AD at USM, I created a course um, like I had mentioned about going out and shadowing and a lot of those kids that are in athletics want to be coaches but they don't really understand what that means at the, all the different levels and how you have to get involved so I had placed some of them doing that and then there's a course at USM part of the coaching certificate program that you can go and um, get you know 90 hours and three credits for being involved in coaching so I helped place students doing that too so with athletic administration, I think it's about connections. Um, the sport management degree came later. You know, um, right. USM has a sport management program now. Um, I'm completing my master's in leadership studies, and although I had resigned from USM two years ago, um, I still have a love for athletics and um, for kids and athlete. You know, in athletics, and and you know, I think too is you. In the state of Maine, if you're going to go into athletic administration, you probably want to be able to move, relocate. You know, there are not, there are not, there's a select few, um, unless you're going to be a high school AD. You know, the turnover with high school athletic directors is always, um, it's always there from year to year. You know, there's a, there's a great turnover. But if you want to work at the college level, people generally get those positions and they like to stay. It's a good job. Why do you think that turnover is there for the high school ADs? It's it's different than college. Um, in you know, if you're if you're a Gorham High School, you know, say, and you have lights, and you have a young family, then your day starts at seven seven thirty in the morning when all the kids show up, and could end at eleven o'clock that night. Yeah, it just depends. I mean, when I was was when I was working at USM, there would be some nights. That I would be there until 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night and doing the other things that I did. You know, I was younger then too um, with crazy, crazy hours. But it's it's a demanding job at sure. the high school level. And, you know, there are smaller schools in Maine where you're not putting in that many hours. But a lot of the role too with the high school athletic director now is becoming um, more of an activities director. Uh, so they're, they're doing more, they're adding more to the job. And if you have the certification, so the state of Maine has a certification to be an athletic director, um, you might be asked to be an assistant principal for the day and step in in that role. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty demanding. Wow. Yeah, to say the least. I have, I, I have a question. I, you, you touched on it briefly about mentoring. I'm going back to college at yeah. USM when you were mentoring 
those athletes and and what it takes to make it as as a college athlete what do you think makes a successful college athlete not success on the field so much but just success getting through college and and being a key contributor on the team and getting a degree and then and then making making yourself successful after college like what are, what are the keys to being successful as a student athlete in college and then having that carry over time management uh, you know college student athletes have to have to learn to manage their time because sometimes you're on the road until you know midnight one o'clock in the morning sort of thing so you really have to be committed to doing your schoolwork um, you have to be focused and you have to really know what your goals are and I think um, it's more important to recognize that your goals are going to change from year to year. You may change your major a couple times, um, but still have that focus. Be extremely driven to ask for help. There, there's so much support in college, especially at Division III, um, but you have to ask for it, and you have to know what your weaknesses are, your strengths are, and really um, challenge yourself to kind of do the extra, whether it's in um, you know tutoring or it's you know retaking an exam, that sort of thing. And I think in college too, if you have the opportunity to take classes in the summer, it puts you one step ahead of what's happening during the school year because maybe you can um, go down to four classes instead of five because you're having you know you have yeah. the athletic component to it. Um, and as far as after college, there's so many transferable skills that that you learn being a student athlete um, and you're so marketable and I think a lot of these kids don't take advantage of the fact how marketable they really are. I mean sports teaches you so much about being confident, you know, being able to represent yourself and depending on the coach that you have, if you take a, you know, an Ed Flaherty who has such high expectations for his student athletes, not only as what they are in the field, but the fact that they're they're a part of society and their life lessons and, and he's going to develop men. You know, he's going to develop those those men that are going to go out there and and represent themselves as a family in, in the workplace. Um, so it's it's really setting the bar for yourself to a certain standard and holding yourself accountable. Yeah, I think that speaks to how incredibly important the job of a coach is. I can't remember when it was. I think it was it was a couple weeks ago. We were talking about the responsibility of a coach at, at any level, at a, at a youth level, junior high, high school, college, and how how the role of a coach has changed over the years, and how much more in depth it's become. Like, how did, how have you noticed the role of of a coach? Because now you're a coach. How have you noticed it change from when you first started to now? Uh, you know, I think that a coach is put into a um, challenging and difficult place today because they are they are all always being watched and questioned about their technique and their approach and their philosophy. I think now we deal a lot more with mental illness and challenges that our students are going through off the field and how that has transferred onto the field. Um, you know, when I think about the best coaches and the people that I admire and I respect and the person that I would want to be as a coach, it is someone that is structured, someone that is motivated by the success of their student athletes. And, you know, when I see 
a, a student athlete push themselves beyond what they think that they're capable of, that motivates me um, because selfishly I feel as though I had a, I had a part in that. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I think th- that's another component too. It's, it's having parents and other people in their lives letting a respectable coach coach their kid and, and push their kid to their full potential. Um, there's, there's a lot of easy ways out now, um, and um, I'm not really uh, in favor of um, how easy it can be, and um, I think it's important that these kids know structure, and the more structure that can be provided at any level. Um, you know, I know how to be really, really hard on athletes, but I know how to have fun too, and for me, I try to teach the field hockey girls the fun comes within completing a skill that maybe they didn't have the week before and and getting a goal that you know that they've been practicing for for a month or so um, so coaching's challenging you definitely have to be the right individual you definitely have to have thick skin and you have to in my opinion know that when you're going for an interview that you have the administration on your side you have the support of the people that you're working for because if you don't I don't know how I don't know how you can really fulfill your philosophy I agree with that I mean I, I feel like a lot of times now you're right like you're always under the spotlight mm-hmm. and with like social media and like people just pretty much text now like your accessibility as a coach is a lot greater than what it used to be too but also I feel like a lot of times I don't know how to sugarcoat this but like a lot of parents have a hard time parenting, so they don't really know how to be tough on their kids. So when a coach is being tough on their kid, the kid's either like, wow, that coach is a real jerk, he doesn't like me, or the parents are like, you know what, you're being a little bit too intense or hard on my kid. It's like, well, no, I'm just really kind of teaching the kid accountability and how to be a better person. So that can be a struggle too, right? Right, absolutely. And Coach Manson and I are pretty intense coaches. And um, my philosophy is it's going to benefit the student athlete when they leave high school mm. because it's going to make them stronger for that and um, really show them what they have, what what they're capable of doing. And I think you're right. I think it's sad. I think uh, a lot of kids are, you know, you know, stop short right. of really what they could be. Um, and my belief having, you know, two of my own kids is that they want accountability. They want responsibility. And you know you see all these things on Facebook about chores and what what was the most the recent one I saw was um, what did your parents ask you to do that parents today don't ask you to do and my response was chores yeah. you know my kids have chores and and responsibility and I think that that translate onto the athletic field and in the classroom and um, they need that and as busy as they are and as mo- as many commitments as they have. Absolutely. You know, I think the other pressure you see too with with coaches and um, is just also when you start to get well, you can get two types of athletes, right? You can get the, the, the type of athlete whose whose parents really don't have any real awareness of, you know, they they overinflate this kid's abilities level, mm-hmm. you know, and they their expectation is my, this coach needs to get my kid, you know, a scholarship, like he's. He just needs to bring him that level, or it's that coach's responsibility to get him to college. Where it's like, no, not really. He's, his that coach's goal is to provide the structure so that you can go and showcase your skills. But there's a lot of parents that put that kind of pressure on on them. That if you, oh, you're not playing my kid, 
wow, you're impacting his ability to reach the next level. Like you see that complaint quite a bit as well. Yeah. You know, and that's that's got to be tough to manage. Yeah, right? and I, I actually just had this conversation the other day with with another coach, and you know how much kids' bodies change and how much they progress or don't progress, you know, from third or fourth grade. Third or fourth grade, you may be the absolute superstar and the tallest kid on the team, you know, male, male or female. And um, by the time you're in eighth grade, you're not there anymore. And, you know, I used to tell my son, you're going to get there. You're going to get there, you know. And, <laughs> and he's now at the point where he's starting to develop and, and you know, get the skills. But I think that's at the right point, you know. He's right. go- going to be entering high school. And um, I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure on kids at, a, like the age, ages are way too young. Um, you know, if you think back, well, if I think back to when I was that age, you know, maybe it was a practice here and a practice there, but, you know, my biggest stress was, am I gonna get my homework, you know, to school on time? Am I gonna get to school is, you know, that sort of thing. And um, running around on your bikes and making cabins and playing mud pies and, you know, being a kid and fishing or, you know, planning your next trip to camp or something like that, you know, and, and there is a tremendous amount of pressure on kids to perform. Um, it's competitive, but, you know, big picture, how many of those kids are actually going to go on and play? Mm. Right, right. And um, I, honestly, and, and just to kind of go off that, that's why, you know, Division One is spectacular and, um, you know, I, I was recruited heavily and Division Two, Division Three. I think is such a great place for so many athletes because they have the opportunity, small percentage, but they have the opportunity to compete for another four years. And that's a small percentage across the country, but it opens doors. And not only are you competing, but you're opening the doors education-wise and work-wise. And, you know, it's the, it's the full, well-rounded individual, um, which I think is huge. And I think a lot of these athletes in the state of Maine have the opportunity, if they're focused and driven, to play Division Three. I agree with that. So, yeah, because yeah, like you look at, you look at like, let's say a Division One athlete, the needle is more towards I'm pretty much at this school to play the sport I was recruited for. Right. And the, then the further down the divisions you get, the more the needle moves towards the education, where like the kids that are D three level are kind of split down the middle, or more towards the education. I'm here for the education because it's a great school, but hey, I want to play on the basketball baseball team at the same time and so, compete. Yeah. You exactly. know, because yeah. some of these division schools are extremely competitive. Yeah. You know, and I totally um, agree with that. Yep. I think I don't know where it comes from. I I, I guess just because. You see big Division One schools on TV, and, and as a young kid, you want to play Division One, you know, and it's all about D one, D one, D one. As as a kid in in high school, but you know, D three athletics is no joke. Mm-mm. You know, it's it's still an enormous time commitment, and I think some people look look at that as like, well, I didn't do as well as I could have playing Division Three, and it's just that that's the wrong way to look at it. I would agree with you 100% because if you do look, Division Three is the largest division. Yeah. It has the most right. athletes, mm-hmm. um, the most re- representation in the NCAA, and if you look, um, if you look at the statistics, it, it's still an honor to be able to go and play Division Three athletics, yeah. and um, I mean, what can, you know, if you're, if you're committed to sports and, and you're a good athlete, who doesn't want to go D1? I mean, right, you know, right. That was my right. goal, and, yeah. and you know, and I had that opportunity. But it's it's um, it's definitely 
a large time commitment wherever you go. And, you know, the structure is different. The, the academics is different, and the time with academics and the, the student support services, it's a, it's a different experience. But, I, I, you know, if a kid wants to go and play Division One, that's what this is just going off. But Coach Fifield, you know, at Southern Maine, he didn't stop recruiting the top, top athletes to come out of Maine. And I mean, I don't, I don't know how many girls he had over the years that went D1 and came back to USM. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, you take Ashley Marble. She was a D1 athlete at Maine. And, you know, after her, her first or second year there, she came back and competed at, at Southern Maine. Renee Heath, who is Renee Town now, um, you know, she went to Orono for field hockey and transferred down to... to that happens a ton. Yeah. Right? Because right. people get to the Division One level and realize, like, Wow, this is my life. Mm-hmm. Like my my life is the sport. Like academics is taking are, yeah, a back row. Yeah. yeah, but some people are extremely successful. You know, yeah. I really think it it depends on the individual and what their goals are and what they want. And I mean, you look at where I went to high school, Skowhegan. I mean, she has a handful of girls every year going Division One, and it's Yale and it's you know Harvard and it's here. They're getting a tremendous education and they're getting the opportunity to play field hockey. So I think it really depends on the individual. Yeah. Yeah, and how bad you want it, you know, because the, re- the reality is like Division One, there's no off season. Right, you are doing something year round, whether you like it, whether you like it or not. You know, regardless of sport, you know the the coach has their, you know, even though they're not supposed to, they still have their fingertip right on you and what you're doing. And you know, are you making all your all your workouts? Are you doing this extra work? You know, it's there's a lot of pressure there. And and then in the summertime, what do you do in the summertime? Because you're supposed to be following the structure, and you you know we see it all the time. Obviously with baseball, you see it with basketball, you see it with a number of different sports where there's. There is no off season. You know, no. they're paying for school. Boy, they're they're getting it all the way right. out of you. Right. You know? And but you know, um, I if you put your kid in soccer in third grade, and that's what they play, they're you know, in my opinion, ninety five percent of the time they're not going to be a D one athlete. Division one coaches are looking for a well rounded athlete. They're looking for a kid that's playing two or three sports. And um, I think so many of these kids are getting burnt out um, by the time they even get to high school, and their chances of that are are gone because their body's tired, they haven't developed the muscles in the other sports and doing other things. And um, you know, if there's any, if there's anything that I could ever change in our society <laughs> regarding sports, specialization, it, yeah, it, yeah. Would, it would be. I, I mean, I'm seeing it now, and I wasn't aware that I was going to see it so drastically, and I do. And it's just, it's sad. It's so sad for these kids because not only their dreams, but the dreams of their parents are like, right. oh, what are you going to do now? You know? I get um, to high school, and they clearly, you know, they just don't love it anymore. Right. Yes. And who wants yeah. that? I mean, right. if you go Division One. You gotta love what you do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. It's funny how that we come up with that topic, time like, after time, time after, after time. time. Yeah. Each podcast that that always rears its head. Right. You know? I mean, you see it coming in. I mean, we're starting to see it now. Both of us have have kids that are in eighth grade and are just starting to reach high school, and you start to see like, oh wow, like the commitment level just just to play the sport, like for football, it's like, oh, he's got to start doing. X, Y, and Z, and his expectation is he's going to be around doing, you know, X, Y, and Z in the off season, and that's just for one sport. But then if he plays 
baseball or you know plays basketball, there's another set of expectation there as well, both in season and off season, and it, it's it's crazy. Yeah. You know, all the travel teams now. You, you look at if you're not playing on this AAU team, you're not getting looked at. You know, it's I, I see it's kind of hurt the middle school teams and stuff like that. Kids are rather playing AAU sports in the middle school teams, and just those those teams are hurting. And I could never imagine not playing for my high school team yeah. or my middle yeah. school team. I think there's so much pride. An empty feeling. And right. just so much so much pride, just so much involved in being part of a high school team. And you just said something about, um, oh, travel. So, you know, that's why I've uh, – Landon was not – my son was not allowed to play travel until he was 13. And my daughter's a little bit younger, and she's playing travel um, – field hockey and I will say out of the two programs the River Rats and Coastal Field Hockey I am so impressed with the amount of time that is being spent on skills that comparatively I think it's different from some of the other travel programs you know Landon's in in with River Rats for four months doing you know the hitting the skills the the foundation and Hannah's doing the same thing with field hockey and I think a lot of these travel programs it's be, it's so sad to see the amount of business that's involved and the amount of money it's that's money involved yeah. Yeah. to put these kids into a scrimmage, to put them into games. And granted, we play a lot of games with River Rats, but he's had the foundation prior. Right. And you know, and same with Hannah. She's practicing with that, and then she goes into tournaments. But I think that the AAU programs that are not spending the amount of time on the skill development and the individual play are missing the boat. Yeah, it's so driven towards exposure. Just like exposure, you know, tournament. Um, these these kids are going to exposure camps all over the country, mm-hmm. you know, and playing all year round. Adam, you battle it all the time. You know, like how many mm-hmm. how many showcase camps do I need to go to? Right. And I would yeah. encourage parents. Um, you know, I've really talked to, to Coach Manson about this um, with our field hockey girls, bringing in someone that is educated on the recruitment process and NCAA and um, you know local coaches at the college level sort of thing. I would encourage, if I would tell, tell parents anything that want athletics for their kids in college, to understand the rules surrounding those, those camps that are supposed to be spotlight or recruiting camps. Because I think you're going to find and parents are going to find that that again is a way to make money. and the actual opportunity for those kids to get spotted in a tournament like that is very slim. Do you uh, do you preach this to your own field hockey players? Yes. And do you ever have like a conflict with the parents? Well, um, I would say that Gorham's a little bit different because we have just started probably the last four years or so to implement um, our, our, our uh, feelings on off-season play and playing in the winter where a lot of programs have been doing this for the last 10 years. So our athletes are just starting to see like the advantage. And you know they're playing sophomore, junior, senior year, where some of these other programs, they've started in third or fourth grade playing for these travel field hockey teams. What, I try to, what I'm trying to teach the kids from Gorham is that, yeah, if you can get your stick on the ball as many times as possible in the off season, then you need to do that if we're going to compete with those schools like the Skowhegans or the Mount Blues or you know the Thornton Academies and that sort of thing. Um, but be very careful about what you're doing, where you're going, how much you're paying, that sort of thing. And you know, Maine Sticks is great. Um, they've got Maine Elite now with Shaughnessy from Maine. Um, she's taken over that program to make it into Black Bear. Um, 
you know, there's some talk about Majestic coming south, so there's going to be opportunities for these girls to play and get noticed, but you have to be careful, and, you know, how much is too much. Do some research on each program. Yeah, and, you know, one of the conversations, so I do a winter league with um, the middle school girls two days a week, which I love, Um, and, you know, the conversation that I had with them yesterday is you, you can't just condition condition two weeks before you come into the the season and you know I'd rather see a, a field hockey player that's playing some winter league doing some tournaments and stuff that's spending the most of their time strength and conditioning at Parisi and really building and um, working off their strength and conditioning all year long. How important would you say is the strength and conditioning portion because you don't see many younger women that want to go to a gym. I think it's huge, and I think it, it has to do with the culture of that group of women or the group of young girls sort of thing. At Gorham, we're trying to transition the culture to really encourage them to be more involved in the weight room. I think there's a stigma, too, with with girls that if you go into a weight room, you're going to get big. Big and bulky. And, yeah. I mean, for me... You've heard that one a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, later on in life, did I realize the importance of lifting and what it, how it can transition your body and strengthen your body and I'm not huge by any means but um, you know so I think it's just changing the culture a little bit at a time and I think you know we're so fortunate to have Parisi so close and, and available to us and you know what you guys are going to be doing at USM this summer and with our field hockey team particularly um, taking advantage of like the um, the schools around the area taking advantage of that too. Strength is huge, and you can see those girls that we compete against who have spent time in the weight room. Yeah, I mean, we saw it last year when we were working with the the Shevers field hockey team. The the coach said it was night and day compared to the year before. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, if I'm going to go up on you and I'm going to dodge you, and you're solid. It's going to be really much harder for me to get around you and and you know be aggressive with you if I'm not at equal caliber, yeah. you know, of, of strength sort of thing. And strength strength is huge. You know, strength and speed are huge, but from an injury prevention standpoint, absolutely. Too, like you know, if you're injured, you're not you're not doing anything. No, and I would and I would say I would advocate for those students that are playing year round that they take a se- season off and they yeah. just do strength. You know, if you're a year-round soccer player, well, don't play all winter and, and get in the weight room, you know, four months instead. Yeah, I think the I was, I was reading an article that was talking about these showcase camps and how popular they've become and, and how people spend so much time traveling and participating in these showcase camps. And they're so worried about, you know, getting exposure when really they should be worried about getting better. Because... No matter how many showcase camps you go to, you're not—they're not making you better. They're not going to make you a better player. You might gain a little bit of experience from them. You're not, but your skills are not getting any better. They're not teaching you anything. Yeah. Well, it's a really good article. Like actually, you know, kind of on the side note of that, like Adam brought me an article the other day that Ron Wolforth wrote. Right. That whole article about hey, if you're looking to get recruited for college, and he gave this whole formula. If you're a freshman and your fastball isn't at X amount of velocity and your swing and miss rate isn't at this percentage, then stop. Don't play summer ball. You need to work on your strength or you need to work on 
your mechanics. And then they had a whole formula going all the way up. Hey, if you're a sophomore and your fastball isn't at 82 miles an hour, and it was really, really fascinating to see, like, even a guy that his whole approach is, is skill, velocity. Um, it's like, hey, your foundation, your founda- you're cheating your foundation. You need to get that foundation of yours up in order to have success in this particular skill. It was, it was a great little article. Because I think back to, you know, the great question that Kevin asked you a little bit ago about, like, how, how have you seen coaching change? And I think I find my research is starting to turn towards – because parents will ask me a lot, like, what showcases should my son or daughter play in? What what kind of camp should they be going to? What's the recruiting process for college? What should they be focusing on? I'm getting more questions like that versus, like, the mm-hmm. performance side of things. And it's kind of like, you know, we're going to tell them, you know, limit, limit that. You, yeah. don't, you don't need that. You need strength and conditioning. But coming from us, it's like, right. well, you know. It's just one year out the other. So it's almost right. looking for that literature that's right. like, here, even read this from this person. They right. say the same exact thing. And, and I think parents need to read more yeah. about what's out there. Um, and focus on the here and now. You know, so many are looking five years, six years. And I understand you got to think big picture. But you also have to focus on the here and now. And skill development and the foundation, you know, is going to be your success absolutely I mean I used to I had a poodle you know uh, you know I mean I lived on a farm but why my parents decided to get me a poodle when there's you know labs and everything else out there but no we had other dogs but I had a poodle and I went out into my yard and I would dribble with my dog and my dog would chase the ball and he would bounce back and forth when I did the pulls and this that and the other thing and I spent so much time doing that, and we had a big barn, and my dad would, you know, it was Little League at the time, and my dad would go out beside the barn, and he'd pitch to my younger brother and I, and we would hit baseballs against the barn. There's little of that happening now, because there's no time to just go out and, and play, and, right. you know. Um, right, you got six games to play on a weekend. You got right. to turn it off. Right, <laughs> you know? and, you know, and then as a parent, like Stan, you get caught in the middle a little bit. You know, what what's too much, what's not enough sort of thing, what's the best thing for my kid and you know, and I think for him and I, let's get him on a fishing rod. Right. <laughs> let's you know, let's take him hunting, let's let's do whatever, let's go skiing or something, you know. And um there's definitely a fine line and money is a huge thing and a and a huge um boundary for a lot of people. They they're investing in the showcase instead of the poodle to chase the ball. <laughs> I would imagine that's the poodle's name. It was Pluto because Pluto. I couldn't <laughs> say poodle. So my mom, so my mom, we called him Pluto. Pluto yeah. the poodle. Yeah. Wow. See, that's intense. And right? she would knit him sweaters and everything. And I'm, I'm painting this picture because I, I was actually a farm girl and I had a poodle. Yeah. That's sweaters. interesting. You don't see poodles on farms very often. Right? With sweaters. Right? <laughs> I would imagine, though, like, going back to the, the conversation that you guys have to have with your kids, like, if if what everybody's doing is playing on these travel teams and playing all the time, and, and, and you know, as parents, like, that's not always what's best, like, telling your kid that, that they're not going to be able to do what everybody else is doing, what all their teammates are doing, that's hard. Right yep. to be different to it, tell your kid that they, they you know like it is we're not going to go to this tournament. It is hard, but you know what? Saying no is hard. Yeah. yeah. And I think that a lot of parents don't know how to say no, and um, those that's that in itself is a life lesson 
for the kid, for the parent, for the, the adversity it creates and the challenges it creates, it is so much more challenging to say no than it is to give in and say yes. And, um, and I could go on and on and on about that conversation and my beliefs, but to me it goes to the popsicle, to the iPad, to the tournament. Sometimes you just have to say no. So you, you're a parent, you're a coach, you were an assistant AD, like how has that helped you like overall just become a better, maybe a better coach or you know, a better AD, having well, all three of those perspectives? The, for the, from the coaching perspective, when I coached at Southern Maine uh, field hockey, I coached there for six years, and I cannot thank the coach at the time for giving me the as much free range as she did to be a coach and to, de- to develop my philosophy. Um, she gave me the opportunity to run practices, to you know, really take a leadership role with the girls. Some of the girls that I had played with, and then the you know the new girls that came in, but that really gave me the opportunity to define who I wanted to be as a coach. And you know, a lot of the expectations and and what I implemented came from my high school coach. I mean, Coach Doughty has very high standards, very high expectations. I was with her from third grade until I was a senior in high school. Wow. And wow. Um, my older sister played, and I would tag along and go to practices. So I think my coaching philosophy has developed over the years, and I think seeing the coaches that my kids have been exposed to has also helped my philosophy. Um, I would say that if there was ever a vote that every student athlete had to sit a year before they played in college, I would be the first person to say, Yes, because you learn so much from watching. And I think had I been able to watch before I played, I would have been 10 times the athlete that I was. You just see so much. You learn so much. Um, But I had a, I mean, you know, look at my past. It's a huge variety. I've had the opportunity to pick and choose from, like, runs the gamut, you know, from many different experiences. To be an an associate AD, to a coach, to a parent, to everything. I, I am truly blessed for the people that I have been exposed to in my life. Yeah, I mean, you talked about that exposure and just thinking in terms of field hockey, like who you're exposed to as a coach. I mean, you were exposed to some legends, right? You had your Scout Hegan, storied program. How many state championships in the world did Jeez. they win? I mean, you I think won. they've at 16 now, but not in a row. Say, if you wow. have to think about it, that's right. quite a few. I mean, there's 16. How many did you win in high school? Like, two. Yeah, two. And then you went on to play for Paul Hodgkins. Right, who was another legend at USM, right? Field named after her, mm-hmm. you know, like story career. And then there's, then there's you, of course, mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, just just in general, like you were, you were, had the opportunity to be under some great coaches, which obviously that helped define you. And, and, yeah, and learn, learn through my time at USM. I mean, I was supervising six or seven coaches at a time, so I could see what things that certain coaches were doing that I liked or didn't like or agreed with and didn't agree with. And, you know, I'm, Ed, Flair, Ed Flaherty saw me grow up, you know? Right. And Dan Costigan. I mean, I was eight, that, what, 21 years old, 18 is going in, and I spent 18, 20 years with them. So um, just being able to, to see that. And the other coaches in the league and that sort of thing. So there's some great coaches out there for sure. One of my Absolutely. favorite things about sports is, like, you think about, you ask any athlete any age or ex-athlete, you know, like, go as young as seven, eight years old, all up to you find someone that played sports and now they're in their 80s or 90s. 
but you ask every person to name you one coach in their life that made a that made a huge impact. I'm like, guarantee you, every single person can at least name one. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite part about sports. Like, you, like you think about it right now, of us in this room, we all play sports. You know, it's like you can think of that one coach that really gave you a chance or really kind of struck a chord with you that make you work harder and reach your full potential. And I think it starts at home. I mean, my parents were the two best coaches I ever had. You know, my father. Um, you know, he would have been 96 this year. Um, he, you know, he, he World War Two and and came back and he ended up coaching football for Winslow and Skowhegan and um, I can remember this one time he had a bet if he something didn't happen if they didn't win a game you know here he is 70 something years old and he shaved his head you know and it's like, <laughs> it's like just because of the camaraderie and the football yeah, yeah. program and my That's mom awesome. just so involved in everything I just think so much of it starts at home and these kids gotta have you gotta have a coach at home you know yeah well your parents had their own team right you're one of how many children 13 13 Wow. Yeah. So they had their own team right there at home. So they 13? Got, they got on-the-job training on how to be a coach right, right there. Right. I, I won't stress about my careers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Well, all right. I mean, that this is by far my favorite episodes right here. Oh, you guys are Well, <laughs> No, it's great to bring in somebody that has such a great background yeah. athletics to, that can share it from multiple levels. I feel know? like I need more driven. i got to do more. I love right. it. That's what I want to do. I want to motivate people and, and definitely it's uh, my passion. Listening so. to what she did in her mid to mid-twenties makes me feel like I'm a lazy piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> Get going here. I know. On. Get it moving. Thank no, you. Thanks for coming yeah, on. Thanks for coming on. This is a great podcast. Thank you. Hope you listeners out there learned a lot. Um, continue to check in on our website. We'll be posting the summer schedule pretty, pretty soon. Pretty soon, Morgan's right? got it. Yeah, it's going to so be in the system here. Keep your eyes peeled for that. And like always, we always say, if you have questions you want answered on air, hit yep. up Kevin. Wilson at orthoassociates.com. Love to hear from you. And uh, please, please, if you're listening, give us a rating on whatever platform you are listening on. Yes. More ratings, the better. Move us up the chain. Hope you enjoy the content. Until then, stay fit. <laughs>